As we talk about hashtag blessed today, I want to start off this morning with two very different stories about mercy. The first story is told about a mother who came to Napoleon on behalf of her son who was about to be executed. And the mother asked Napoleon to issue a pardon on behalf of her son. But he pointed out to her that it was the man's second offense and justice demanded death. She said, sir, I don't ask for justice. I plead for mercy. The emperor Napoleon objected. He said, but your son doesn't deserve mercy. And the mother with tears in her eyes replied, sir, it would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask. Napoleon granted her son a pardon. Now the second story is about Prince Felix of Schwarzenberg. True story. Felix of Schwarzenberg entered the diplomatic service and was appointed the foreign minister of Austria in November of 1848. History says that after the Hungarian revolt was suppressed in 1849, someone suggested to Schwarzenberg that he, could, he would be wise to show mercy towards the captured rebels. He said, yes, indeed, that is a good idea. But first we will have a little hanging. You see, his comment illustrates the problem that we have with Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Schwarzenberg agreed with it on paper. Yeah, mercy is a good idea. But first we'll have a little hanging. And he hung some of those people. As a purely theoretical concept, mercy sounds like a good idea. All those songs we just sang about mercy were great when they reflect upon us as individuals. It sounds like a good idea. You know, even people who reject Jesus as Lord are impressed by mercy and by those words. But the problem comes when we find ourselves in situations where we are required to actually implement all those things we just sang about. It's nice asking God to have mercy on us and thanking him for it. But when we're called to implement that mercy, sometimes uh, on certain occasions, we're more in sympathy with the sentiments of Prince Felix than Napoleon or even Jesus. I've come to realize something that approving of mercy and actually showing mercy are two very different matters. I think one of the reasons we struggle with this is because needing to show mercy presupposes that real debt is owed. I want to look at our Beatitudes today. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1 and, and read through the whole thing and then we're going to Stop up on mercy and purity in heart today. Remember this. Jesus has spent time with people, healing them, teaching them in the synagogues. And he comes to this place where the people that he's been helping are following him. And he stops on a hillside. And he says, he saw the crowds. He went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. He said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are the merciful. Think about that. Would you rather be known as King Felix Schwarzenberg? Mercy is a good thing, but first we're going to have a hanging. Or would you rather be known as Napoleon? Well, sir, if, it, if, it, you know, if he didn't deserve it, I wouldn't ask for mercy. This next beatitude, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. We, we hear of the sins of many who are in high-profile positions. Just watch the news. Look around of things that have gone on in our country. I don't know about you, but I have lived long enough that I appreciate the glass house that I live in, and therefore I will not throw rocks at someone else's mistakes, no matter the accusation. However, in view of what the Bible teaches about obedience, we have to understand that offering grace and being merciful does not include an unholy mercy. You see, some people have the idea that mercy is not giving someone what they deserve, not giving a criminal their just desserts, a slap on the wrist and send them on their way. Sometimes this treatment sends the wrong message and only encourages someone to do the same thing again. I think the greatest act of mercy, though, was the death of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. On the cross. You see, God had mercy on us, indeed. But make, make no mistake, He showed no mercy for His Son. The price due to justice had to be paid. The price for our sins had to be paid. And he showed us mercy. But even Jesus, when he was on the cross, he made a statement. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is not some carte blanche forgiveness at that moment. He was asking forgiveness for those people. He was asking God to forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing by putting me to death. But see, there's this little matter of repentance on the part of those who are in the process of crucifying the Lord. That forgiveness was given by God on the day of Pentecost. Peter told them, they're all gathered, and he told them, by the hands of godless men you nailed Jesus to the cross and put him to death. This is in Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 41. Listen to what happened when those same people who shouted crucify him, when those same people heard their guilt and it was presented to them, and they, were, and they asked what to do. Now then, they heard this, and they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? In verse 38, Peter said to them, and we say this all the time. Listen to it. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized. Let me back that up. I was paraphrasing clearly. <laughs> Peter said to them, Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified. And he kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Boy, that message could preach right now, couldn't it? 
So then those who heard, those who had received his words, they didn't, they didn't just hear. Those who had received his words were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Did you hear that? They were cut to the core. They asked the question that many people ask today. What must I do to be saved? And Peter told them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the cool thing is, they did it. They obeyed. They repented. They were baptized. They received the forgiveness for their sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it was then that the prayer Jesus prayed on the cross was answered. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. But when it was brought to their attention and they cried out, what do we do about this? And Peter said, it's okay because God is going to give you mercy. Repent and be baptized. It was then that that prayer was answered. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. You see, God shows us mercy when we obey the terms of pardon. If we obey him, he will honor his word. He always does his part. It's on us to do our part. And then it's on us to pass that mercy around. That's our part. We've received it. Share it with other people. That means you don't get to hold grudges. Grudges are not mercy. Grudges are lines in the sand. I know you think that someone's offended you. Get over it. They didn't nail you to a cross. They didn't stab you with a spear. They didn't pull your hair out. They didn't spit on you. They didn't beat you with whips. They didn't put you on a false trial. Well, but you don't know what they did. I don't care. We all sat here and stood here this morning and we, and we sang about mercy and we prayed and th- thanked God for mercy. I don't know about you, but during communion time, that's all I kept coming back to was, all I could say was thank you. Sometimes you've got to let that stuff go. You have to pass mercy around. I look at our community, I think that it would definitely benefit if we were all more merciful to one another. You know, when we, we leave comments and say things on social media, consider mercy before you hit that enter or send button. Some of the hardest things we say are in emails to each other or in comments on, on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff. We say things on those, on those platforms, not maybe we, but as Christians, we say things on those platforms and we forget about mercy. When you're driving in the car, I'm going to preach to myself for a second because we're getting ready to drive to Florida. When you're driving in the car, mercy. Even at the traffic circle. That thing drives me crazy. My family sometime today is going to say to me, mercy, because I get a little amped up when I'm driving and people don't know how. I, how is it I'm the only person on the road that knows how to drive sometimes? You laugh because you're there right there with me. Mercy when you're driving. Quick story on that. My buddy Michael Sykes, his truck, for, for 10 years that he's had this truck and I've known him, the horn has not worked. All right? He got to messing around. He put in some new fuses. Now, the funny thing is, he still, as we're driving somewhere, he'll beep the horn because we know it doesn't work and we'll both go, hey, beep, beep, get out of the way. We'll say, his horn works. He's like, I have beeped at more people. 
because I forgot my horn now works. I'm like, mercy? All right? It, we got to use mercy. When, when we leave comments, when we drive, mercy. When you're involved with a disagreement with a family member, mercy. If you're having a disagreement with your spouse, it's okay to have a disagreement, but bring some mercy into it. Jeff Foxworthy talks about arguing with his wife, and he said, the thing is, the longer you're married, the more ammunition you have to argue about. He goes, but the best part about it is you think you're done, and then like you go the next level. And it's like, yeah, well, your mom is still a bad cook. You know, like you can, you can bring in other family members. It's like, no. My baby, your mom's a great cook, by the way. <laughs> I know that. And she knows I know that. But, but it's what we do. We start dragging in stuff. It's not even pertinent to what we're arguing about. But we don't give mercy. We just get amped up and we forget about that. Mercy. What if, oh, hey, by the way. Thanksgiving is this Thursday. If you're going to be spending time with your extended family, mercy. Yeah. It's funny. I, I plan these things out in, in a year in advance, and I think I'm so smart, and, and I'm, I'm doing these sermon series and stuff. And, and like I told you last week, every week, God is just whooping me with these things. Mercy. If you're talking about politics and religion with people, mercy. That whole, my whole prayer for, for you guys getting that Gospel of John book is so you can sit down with somebody and you've already got what you want to say. It's already out there. Your questions are there. The places you found answers are in that journal. It's a tool of mercy. It's not to be used to beat somebody over the head with. Who knows? God may be giving you an opportunity to be more merciful this week. Don't miss it. Anybody here not have an argument with a family member this last seven days? A disagreement? Maybe not like throwing stuff or, you know, anyone in here not have a disagreement about something? That doesn't matter. Hey, as soon as I get back, you guys are first on my calendar. Lissette, I'll help you out. Um, Scott, will you please tell Chris he was not right? Okay? Uh, but thank you. That's it. Mercy. It's, I mean, we can laugh at it, but that's where it is. Don't miss the opportunities that God is going to give you. And trust me, if you're meeting with anybody, you guys are, some of you are going to go serve at the downtown rescue mission. Somebody there is going to bring you a box and the bottom of it's going to fall out when they hand it to you. And you're going to be like, ah, no, mercy. Mercy. You're going to have opportunities for it. Don't miss them. It's Thanksgiving. Blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. Here's the bottom line about mercy because I got to get on to, to our next um, beatitude. If you desire mercy or you expect God to be merciful with you, the songs we sang, what, what Andy shared with, with our community. If you desire mercy, you are required by Jesus Christ to be merciful first. To whom, uh, yeah, to whom much is given, much is required. You think about the things, we think about the things we're given, we think, we think of money, we think of houses, we think of, 
Think of mercy. You have been given mercy. You've been given much mercy. And with that gift of mercy, it's required that you pass it on. You are required by Jesus to be merciful. And then as you come out of this thing, this conversation about merciful, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Then Jesus says this, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. It's not good enough that I have to be merciful. I have to be pure in heart too. Are you kidding me? I'm not going to make it. I'm right. I'm working through the Beatitudes. I'm going, there's no way I can do all these things. And you, I'm right. You can't do it on your own. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Back in the 90s, there was an advertising slogan for Canon cameras. Does anybody remember what it was? Because it's actually become a mantra for our whole culture. The slogan back in the 90s for, for their camera was, image is everything. Image is everything. And, and I think even today, we, we have embraced that idea wholeheartedly in our culture today. Image is everything. We go to great lengths to protect or to project a certain image. The word makeover has become a household standard term in our vocabulary. Cosmetic surgery has become big business. We'll do anything to be appear more than what we really are. I, there's actually a, a product that I came across years ago, and, and I tried to find it, and, and I think the companies went out of business. There's some other stuff about it, but this is very true. Um, this, is, this took the idea of image in a direction I, that you would never expect, and it originated in the UK, in the United Kingdom, and the product is, is simply called spray-on mud. Not, and it's not like a mask for your face, ladies, or, or it's, not a, it's not that. It's not spray on mud. It's literally a can of mud with some other stuff in it, and you spray it on your car, on your truck, or your, your SUV, your Land Rover. No lie, no lie. It's a can of pressurized mud. You spray it on your SUV to give the appearance that you've been off-road. It was created in the United Kingdom. Now, hey, listen, according to the company's website... Spray on mud can help give your friends and family and neighbors the impression that you've just come back from a day's shooting or fishing or visiting friends who live on a farm. Anything but driving around town all day in your, you know, out of town shopping centers or whatever. But spray on mud. It wasn't a gag. It was a real thing. I'm going to get some of that so I can spray it on my Land Rover and drive around town like I just came back from the woods. Image is everything. Spray on mud. I'm like, we've got that in real life right here. <laughs> that, that stuff doesn't come off with a power washer sometimes, that red Alabama mud. But here's the thing. We'll do strange things to make the outsides of our lives project a certain image, even though the reality is something much different. But let's not get too focused on the guy who invented spray on mud or the guy who buys it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we do the same thing with our social media. Every day on a daily basis, everything about our lives is, it just seems it's better on Facebook. That's what I always say. I don't know if you listen to Way FM, but Wally and his crew from the morning show, um, they do a segment every once in a while. They call it Pan Out. And they ask people to call in and describe a picture on their social media page and then pan out and tell them what's really going on in the picture. 
Okay, and for instance, there there was a. You've probably seen this if if you're on any of that stuff. Um, I don't know if it actually made the news on TV, but it was all over social media, and it was a story of, of someone who had been proposed to, and she had just gotten her nails done. That apparently that means they were still wet, and getting them done means someone else did them, which means it's rather expensive. And so there's a picture. And it's, it's this girl and her new fiancé, and they're, they're like all lovey-dovey, you know, like one of those bad prom pictures where they're like looking at each other, and they're all like, oh, it's so sweet, and they're just getting ready to kiss, and she's holding her hand up so everybody can see the ring while she kisses, and it's the whole, you know, she said yes, blah, blah, blah. But when you pan out, it was her cousin's hand. Her cousin hand-modeled the ring so they could set the picture of the engagement on Facebook because he surprised her as she came out from getting her, her nails done. And no lie, when you pan out of the picture, the, the guy is standing there, the girl is right here, and behind her, her cousin is like knelt down out of the frame with her hand up. Image is everything. It's what we project. I think the reasons we struggle with being pure in heart is because we're convinced that what people see right here, I think everybody wants to see me looking sharp in a tie. By the way, men, this is called a necktie. There's, <laughs> there's several different ways to tie them. It's still trendy to wear one. Frank, he'll show you. Yeah, nice. That's right. Frank's always got a tie on, always, always looking sharp. Uh, listen, everybody wants to see the perfect picture. I asked someone the other day, I said, hey, how are you doing? And this is what I love about this word. They actually looked me in the eye and they said, you know what, not too good. I said, with work or with life? And they said, ah, a combination of the two. I said, thanks, I can pray about that. You see, this person, and, and, and I'm not trying to talk them up. They're not like, oh, super Christian. But this person is more concerned with being pure in heart than trying to appear to be perfect or appear to be something they're not. Could have just as easily said to me, Oh, I'm doing just great. Look at me. I got a new shirt on. My pants are pressed. My shoes are tied. Doing all right. I said, No, it's a rough week. A little bit with family, a little bit with life, a little bit with, with work. I said, You know what? I can pray about that. And I have been. And I don't even know the details. I just know that my friend said, Eh, how you doing? Eh. I ask my kids every, every week, can, and have a kindergarten through second grade class. And on our, our board, I had this line drawn all the way across the dry erase board. And on one, one end of it, it's got a pair of angry eyes and, and just this real grimacy looking face. And in the middle, there's a little face that's just a couple of dots and a little just kind of meh little look. But then on the end of it, on the far end, is this huge smile. It's like, ah, ear to ear, woohoo. And I asked my kids, and this is all one word, how's it going? H-O-W-Z-I-T going. G-O-I-N. That's, that's how we start off every Sunday. How's it going? And they talk to me about their week. You know what? I started out, I, I had a couple rough days. I was on yellow or orange or they give kids colors. I don't know. They just, never mind. <laughs> I had a rough week. But then it got better. And then down here, I got to see my cousin and we had pizza. That puts it, at, the week ends on a woohoo. Um, uh, one of my, the gas station. Yeah, candy. Some of you folks, I just want you to know, parents, when you stop by the gas station and you let your kids pick out a candy, that, that caps their week. I'm serious. 
that that takes them from eh to woohoo. I mean, and they're like, they're telling me about their week. Woohoo! We got this seventy-five cents at the Circle K. It changed their whole perspective. Well done, folks. My my point is, these kids aren't trying to be anything but who they are, and they'll tell you, I love I love your son, Andy. Joshua cracks me up because he'll tell me, ah, Monday and Tuesday. <sighs> he goes, but it got better. I did this and then and it got better. And, and it's I love this what these kids bring because it's fresh and it's real. And they're not they're not concerned with being anything but just who they are. And then we take all this stuff about gas stations and candy and pizza and cousins and all that. And sometimes they'll say, hey, will you pray for my mom? She's been coughing. And all of a sudden it goes from this crazy stuff to where they really are. And then we have our prayer time. But if I call it prayer request, hey, what's your prayer request? I don't have a prayer request. I don't know. (laughs) What's a prayer request? Kindergarten. I I want candy and pizza. Say, how's it going? And then we get to pray about it. And it's awesome because they're just not trying to appear to be anything perfect or something that they're not. I love broken people. That's why I like you guys. Because <laughs> you're all messed up. Like me, it's good. And I'm going to get there. And I say this all the time. Chris Crow will tell you this because I tell him this a lot. It does my heart good to see you struggle with whatever. And he's like, why would you say that? Why does it do your heart good to see me struggle with this? I'm not having a good day. And you're all like, it does my heart good to see you struggle. He's like, you're a jerk. I'm like, I know, but I love you. Here's the thing. If you're struggling with it, whatever it is, if you're struggling with it, it means that you aren't just giving up and accepting the defeat of sin in your life. I want you to struggle with pornography. I want you to struggle with your attitude. I want you to struggle with anger. I want you to struggle with the way you talk to your spouse. I want you to struggle with how you do in school. I want you to struggle with those things. Because if you struggle with them, you're not just saying, oh, it's just who I am. I'm an idiot. I'm just going to... No, you're not. If you're struggling with it, you are working towards being pure in heart. You are working towards being merciful. It doesn't come easy. It comes with struggle. You're not just giving up. You're not just accepting the defeat of sin in your life. You are striving to be merciful and pure in heart. And it does my heart good to see all these broken people come in and sing songs about mercy and take communion after we spent 20 minutes asking God to be merciful. And then we reflect on how merciful He was on us and what Jesus Christ did for us. Listen, are we succeeding every minute of every day? No. But I look at you all, myself, and I'm reminded of what the great theologian Stitch said in the Disney movie, Lilo and Stitch. He, had to, he, was, he was in handcuffs, his little, his little hand. He had to go back to his home planet. They were taking him away. And he asked the emperor lady, he's like, can Stitch say goodbye? And she was like, yeah. And if you haven't seen Lilo and Stitch, you come over to my house, we'll watch it. Uh, and I watched it by myself the other day, just because it's great. Anyhow. He says, he, he walks down to say goodbye and she says to them, because he he's, he's like leans in and Lilo gives him a hug and she's like, who is this? Who are these people? And he looks up at it, he's got little handcuffs on and he's like, this is my family. He said, I found it all on my own. It's little and broken, 
but still good. Yeah, still good. I'm like, yeah, that's my family. Those are my church people. We're little and we're broken. Don't, don't deny that. Own that. Okay? It's okay. We're broken, but we're still good. You know why? Because we're striving to be merciful. We're striving to be pure in heart. We're struggling with those things that separate us from God. And that's where the broken part comes in. I'm not saying that you're worthless. I'm just saying, hey, you're a little dinged up. It's okay. But it's still good. Very good. You see, the thing about those that seek mercy, the thing about those that strive to be pure in heart is that we may be a little broken, but we're still good. But we have to remember what the heart is. And this is the crux of, of being pure in heart. I want to tell you something about the heart. To understand what it means to be pure in heart, you need to see what the Bible means by heart and by purity. The heart is the control center of life. In Scripture, when it, there's reference to your heart, Matthew uses the term cardia. It's spelled with a K, cardia. You may have heard it in some of our doctor and, and hospital words. It's used 15 times in Matthew, and each time it's Jesus who is saying something about cardia, about the heart. And, and in biblical thought, the heart is the center of passions and emotions and thought and like everything is, is your heart. And so it's not like, oh, my heart. It's like your core of who you are is your heart, your decisions, your will. It's the whole of our inner being is where all of our ideas and our thoughts and our desires and decisions come from. Now, the scary part to that is in Proverbs 4.23, it says, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it flows the springs of life. See, if we're going to be pure in heart, you've got to protect it. You've got to protect that core, what you watch, what you listen to, what you're eating, what you're doing, what's influencing you. Listen, folks, the heart will get you in trouble. We do dumb things when, when you look at the heart in the way that our culture talks about heart. We do stupid things and we blame it on our heart. Oh, I have to follow my heart. The heart wants what the heart wants. You, you can't choose what the heart wants. My, my heart tells me to do this. And, and, and my mind says, no, I should stay with my spouse. See, the heart will lead you astray if you don't guard it first. You, you listen to your mind because your heart doesn't always know what it's talking about. The heart that we see on The Bachelor and all this other stuff on TV, that is not the heart. Listen to your mind. It's your core. The heart is the seat of all our problems. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 19, For out of the heart, cardia, come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. Wait a second. Proverbs said something different. Proverbs said, Guard your heart with diligence, for out of it flow the springs of life. If you're not guarding your heart, this is what's coming out of it. If you're not guarding your heart, if you're not striving to be merciful, if you're not working towards purity, what's coming out of your heart is this stuff, evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things that defile man. And right here, the Son of God says, these things come from the heart. Listen, it's a lonely battle. The battle of what goes on in our minds is lonely because nobody gets to see it. If we could see what's really being thought, I think it would be easier to help people be pure in heart. As you say, boy, that's a really nice tie you're wearing. In your mind, you're like, I can't believe he's wearing that stupid tie. All the cool preachers are wearing polo shirts and skinny jeans. I know what you're thinking sometimes. 
Leonard, I'm not wearing skinny jeans. No, this right here. And you're, yeah, you're thankful. I'm not trying to squeeze into some skinny jeans. But that's the whole thing. If, I, if we knew, because what do we do? We're in the South. What does everybody say? Bless your heart. Bless your little pea-picking heart. If somebody says that to you, they just said something really bad. If I knew what you were actually thinking, it would be easier for me to help you be pure in heart. If we knew the crowd was watching our thoughts, ready to applaud our victories or to come alongside us with our struggles, I think it would help. But no one sees that core of us except the Lord. And that's why Jesus says, blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy and blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. So what's the answer to becoming pure in heart? I can tell you what's not the answer. Sometimes we think, well, in order to be pure in heart, I just have to cut myself away from everything. The monks have done that. Monasteries for years. Monks will go off somewhere and not associate with anybody, not say a word, not do anything in a vain effort to get away from it all. But here's the thing. There's no way you can get away from yourself. One of my favorite shows on TV for a while was Alone. They would put these people on different spots in different islands and they would just be alone and they would have a camera to talk to. And I'll tell you what, you get out in the middle of nowhere by yourself and you're just you and the devil because we forget that Jesus is there too. You get alone with yourself and that's what happens. Paul gave us the best defense for heart trouble though. And he gave us some rules to live by in order to be pure in heart. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. He says this, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. If you want to get your core pure in heart, start taking every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If you want to see God, if you want to be welcomed in and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, then it's time that we start working on becoming merciful. And bringing every thought into captivity into the obedience of Jesus Christ. And we will know with certainty that blessed are the merciful and blessed are the pure in heart. One thing I've learned from studying the Beatitudes is this. Jesus is not impressed by spiritual staging of your life. He can smell a spiritual hypocrite a mile away. Now on the other hand, he also knows a pure in heart person when he sees them, even if they're broken. He knows the reality of the heart that longs for true purity before God without religious showmanship. You see, when Jesus pronounced his blessing on the pure in heart, do you know who else was in the audience? Pharisees and Sadducees. This pure in heart thing is a direct contrast to the way that they approached purity. Jesus gives this blessing on those who are really pure, pure in heart, not just the ones who pursue an image of purity. These Pharisees, they would would walk around and and had this image of purity. Everything was about cleanliness. They were washing their hands and stuff. Jesus doesn't want someone who sees like they're pure and tidy on the outside. He wants you to pursue an image of purity. As we come into our response time this morning, my question for you is this. Are you merciful? Not, oh yeah, I'm a nice guy. No. Are you merciful? If you aren't, what do you need to do in order to become merciful? 
My second question is, are you pure in heart? Actually, my second question is, do you even desire to be pure in heart? What steps do you need to take in order to become merciful and pure in heart? Maybe for you, your response this morning is to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit so that you can begin a new life of being merciful and pure in heart. Maybe for you, you just need a moment to pray with your church family or the elders. We're here. Whether you want to pray with all of us or, or one of us, your church family is here, your elders are here, we'd love to pray with you. Maybe you'd like to place membership here in, at HCC and partner with us and be part of this broken family that's good as we strive to be intentional in our community and around the world and investing in others in living out the Beatitudes every day. Whatever your response is, will you stand and sing our response song with us and respond to God's word accordingly? As always, it's great to be here with you guys. I love Sundays. I talk about Sundays all the time. It's my favorite day. Um, If I could have a Groundhog Day, it would be Sunday, but the sermons would be different every Sunday. Anyway, (laughs) it's great to be here to worship with you, to share wisdom of the Beatitudes, to challenge you to be merciful and pure in heart. But now it's time to go to win and commit to grow. As you go this week, take the time you need to express gratitude to the people around you. And as you commit to grow in your relationship with Christ this week, let God know what you are thankful for, something other than turkey. As you go, whether it's to be with family or Black Friday shopping or whatever it is you're going to do this week, remember what Jesus said. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Go and be merciful and work on being pure in heart. Will you sing this last song with us? Mm -hmm.